0: Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports, Your thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. you run our kill with the red pirate flag flying high above, as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Opa! Scousebo! <laughs> uh, I'm loving how you're teasing this thing up here, Scuzz. Uh, tonight, we begin the section of our summer previews where we talked about the teams on Northwestern schedule. Uh, we will be talking tonight about Sparty, uh, Michigan State, who we will see at Ryan Field Friday night, September 3rd. That's less than two months away here, boys. F-
1: 51-ish days? 50 days? Yeah.
0: No. Uh, cannot wait. It's it's coming up, and uh, it's coming up soon, so uh, we will take a look at Sparty tonight, Um Team that you know, I I think we all have a little PTSD over from last season, a lot, a lot of PTSD, sure. Uh, two and five. Um, we all know what one of those two wins was. Um, you know, John, yeah, just trying very hard not to think back on last year, but uh, I mean, if you just looked at our game, it seemed like the best defense in the conference, (laughs) but uh. Maybe that's not really the case. I don't know. What happened?
2: It's not remotely the case.
0: Um, (laughs) I mean, how bad were they, John?
2: No one wants to return to the scene of this car wreck. Um, Let's just say, though, let's just soften the blow off the top. Some of you will agree with this, some of you won't. But let's just say, ultimately, going to the Citrus Bowl and beating the brakes off of Auburn was amazing. And that doesn't happen if we beat Michigan State. So, like, if you look at it through that lens and you kind of squint, I'm just trying to help, okay? Um, With that said, this was an abjectly horrible team in 2020. And I don't know that there's any single thing that happened in the Big Ten last year that flies in the face of everything else that happened more than Michigan State's win over Northwestern. So, what sucks about the game from a defensive standpoint is to, quote, former Northwestern coach, the late, great Denny Green, Michigan state is exactly who we thought they were going to be defensively going into 2020. <clears throat> so their scoring defense would have you believe that they were way worse than that. Um, because it's the 14th rated scoring defense in the big 10. But if you look at that, that stat, you can actually see the treadmarks on it from where the Spartan offense backed the bus over this team. Um, that is just a warped stat. Now, did, would they have been a good scoring defense? Otherwise, no. But they wouldn't have been 14th in the in the conference. They were seventh in the conference in total defense. And if you kind of prorate that scoring defense down to whatever it would have been if they had had an offense, um, seventh, eighth, ninth. That's really about where this defense is was in the conference last year. Um, And that's about right for a defense that was dealing with a huge culture shift and a lot of player turnover at the same time. The reason the Spartans weren't just flat awful on defense, and again, this number seven scoring defense in the conference, uh, total defense in the conference, was that they still had the vestiges of that D'Antonio era defensive culture in several really talented players. So guys like Antoine Simmons, Shakur Brown, Xavier Henderson, those are fantastic Big Ten players. And those guys carried all the water for the Spartans in 2020. The problem for Michigan State is this. Even with those guys, the Spartans were not great defensively. And the ratio of great players who are leaving to young guys who looked promising last year really goes against Sparty here. So at linebacker, Michigan State loses Simmons, who put up just a phenomenal stat line in an abbreviated season, 75 tackles, nine tackles for loss, and really did everything for this defense. Michigan State returns Noah Harvey, who will be a senior and is a very capable linebacker. He's not nearly in the league that Simmons is, but he's a a good linebacker. But the amount of transition in the linebacker core this year is staggering four linebackers are transferring out of Michigan state and three are transferring in, which is a huge deal because if you've been following Michigan state for as long as we have um, year after year after year of doing these culture is a hundred percent where their bread is buttered defensively. This is not the kind of program that has any experience or wants to be playing like transfer roulette like this. And frankly, Michigan State doesn't really have the cachet to play that game year in and year out. This is a team that's found its greatest success building and developing the talent that they recruit from within. Um, So, with that said, again, it's like D'Antonio hasn't been gone forever. Like This is still a relatively recent transition, and when you think of the culture that predates this, Sparty still has a lot of work that was done in that area in the linebacker core. And there still are some guys in the stable in this vein. Um, the main guy in that group of you know of the group that's left is Chase Klein, who's still young and he looks very promising. And on top of that, the Spartans have a massive incoming big-time recruit at linebacker in Ma'a Gaoteote. Um, again, that's, that's the one time you're getting that. Um, but... These guys Klein, uh, and well, I guess I'll give it to you again, myteyote, are young to very young players, and they're gonna have to adjust their roles on the fly. So there's some talent here, and Harvey is really experienced linebacker, but this is not going to be an area of strength for the Spartans early. So, as good as Simmons was, though, Michigan State's facing a bigger loss in the secondary. Shakur Brown was probably the third-best cornerback in the conference last year, after Greg Newsome and Taiwan Mullen at Indiana. Brown had every single Michigan State interception, and he was a lockdown stud. But keep in mind, Michigan State had the number-nine-ranked de- pass defense in the Big Ten last year. Um, Sparty doesn't really have a super-strong track record of strong secondary play against the pass, over time, they tend to be really a run-oriented secondary. Um, the culture just was always built that way under D'Antonio. So Brown was kind of the duct tape and dental floss that kept things from completely falling apart back there last year. And now he's gone. And that's going to have a huge impact. Fortunately for the Spartans, the secondary is where they returned their best returning player, who's Xavier Henderson, who has been for years this absolutely dependable freight train of a safety. Um, who is a massive boost against the run. He always has been. And he's going to be their guy this year. And he's going to continue to, to be that support at safety. But now we get to what the real biggest issue for Michigan State is, the defensive line. So coming into 2020, Michigan State was losing a staggering amount of talent off of their line. And we predicted that this was going to be a big trouble area, but we predicted that that was going to be kind of mitigated by Jacob Panasuk's play at end. And that didn't really happen, uh, so this group did not get to the QB at all. But that's always kind of been the Michigan State mo because they're usually built. You know, it's a four three defense, but it was a four three defense that the line year in and year out has been built to just totally dominate at the line of scrimmage um, against the run, against opposing offensive lines, and let everyone else go to work. And they've always they're always fantastic at that. Um, the differences this year. These guys did not make up for the lack of a pass rush by neutralizing opposing O-lines against the run. It just did not happen. This was the number eight run defense in the conference. And it gets worse because the only guy who was solid against the run for them last year, defensive tackle the Jones, took all of his 340 pounds to the NFL. So quite frankly, pretty much every guy who's going to be starting for the Michigan State defensive line this year, Panasuck, Drew Beasley, Michael Fletcher, these are all known commodities and none of them really bring much to the table. Uh, Fletcher maybe has the most promise because he's young, but he's 6'6", 250. So he's a lean, tall dude. Three of his three and a half tackles for loss were sacks. That's the kind of guy you usually see Illinois trotting out, not Michigan State. So the Trench Cats are just a level above this group like which again to talk about that from like a run perspective with it being Michigan State but facts are facts that's just where they are right now. So in a larger sense the question here is whether this slide's going to continue. So Michigan State has a couple of young linebackers with loads of potential. Um, they've got a really solid veteran linebacker, a uh, solid veteran at linebacker, and they've got an excellent solid veteran at safety, and that's about it. So, but here's probably the biggest thing as, you know, relative to this pod, Michigan State is going to be praying that new talent emerges at every single position group this year, and that that makes the difference long-term, and it is very Very hard to see how that's going to happen in week one of the Big Ten season. It's almost inconceivable that the defense we play in the first game of 2021 is not going to be significantly worse than the one that, again, was the number seven overall defense in the Big Ten and the number 14 scoring defense in the Big Ten last year. Honestly, we can't ask for much more to kick things off.
0: So offensively, um, again, trying very, very hard not to think about last season and and that atrocity of a game. Um, Guard yourself. Yeah. I mean, just such an anomaly on so many different levels, but like, this was a bad offense, even though they didn't show that against us, but this is a bad offense.
1: Yeah, I mean, the question this year is, do you believe Mel Tucker and, and the offensive coordinator, Jay Johnson, can develop talent? Because they're bringing back literally, well, not literally, virtually all their players from last year, plus a solid transfer at QB. And um, this is also, interestingly, the very first time that Mel Tucker has been somewhere two years in a row since his four seasons as defensive coordinator with the Jacksonville Jaguars that ended in 2012. So he's literally changed location every single year since 2012. Oddly, at their last stop in Colorado, where uh, Jay Johnson was also Tucker's offensive coordinator, the offense regressed in in the year that uh, Tucker was there. Yards and touchdowns in particular declined, despite getting two additional games that year from LaVisca Chenault, the the all-everything wide receiver at Colorado. And they had a fifth-year senior QB in Steven Montez. Who threw for fewer uh, fewer interceptions and, and turned the ball over less? Still, that was Colorado's lowest points total since twenty twelve. Like I just I don't understand how this is possible. Um, like I, I dug into it. Chenault was less involved in the offense, both both in the pass game and the run game. Perhaps this was due to his season engine, ending injury the year prior. But
0: what he, that really does he was banged up quite a bit that year too.
1: He was. But here is what it what that doesn't explain. Is after Tucker and Co. left, Colorado's offense improved significantly into 2020, particularly on the ground. Like, an extra 75 yards rushing on average per game, and an entire extra touchdown on the ground per game. Now, granted, 2020 was bonkers, so those numbers are a little weird. But, like, they lost a five-year starter at QB and LaVisca Chenault, and they had a brand new coaching staff. And they started a got- converted safety at quarterback. And they got dramatically better. An improvement in those circumstances—that's not really a good look for Tucker. Like, despite signing a decent recruiting class, who who didn't really con- contribute much. I mean, they had they had Jerry Rice's kid who caught a couple TDs, but that was about it. It's just like a weird, like a weird thing, right? Like, I'm not suggesting that that's like going to be the boilerplate for for Tucker at, at Michigan State. It's just like a really interesting data point to look at. So let's fast forward to Michigan State. They were. Extremely rocky last year, pun intended. Uh, The QB situation was a train wreck. Maybe their best wideout got injured after their second game against Michigan. Uh, They couldn't run the ball except versus us. Uh, They had key injuries across the offensive line again. And all of that happened on top of no spring practice with a brand new coaching staff. This all resulted in Michigan State's lowest scoring average since the year 2000 name an offensive stat, it looked bad. However, uh, all that being said, there is a lot of reason for optimism and hope in 2021. So first on offensive line. Michigan State has been injury plagued for like multiple consecutive seasons at O line. Famously, two years ago, they started four guys at left tackle. their center was out for the year after the first game. it was just it was a total train wreck. this year, I mean, you know, they had problems last year as well, but this year they have the entire two deep back from twenty twenty. They have eight different players with starting experience. They're getting some transfer in from Arkansas as well, like a a, a reasonably well regarded player. Uh, they've also got several several high rated high rated um, former recruits in the offensive line, so. Uh, Ahunba and Jarvis were four-star four recruits. These guys are, are starting guards. Um, Allen is the latest in the line of great Allens who played center for, for Michigan State. Uh, there's some more recent four-star four star talent too, but it's buried in the depth chart. If they can shake the injury bug, this unit has the potential to be Michigan State's strongest offensive line in years. Uh, I think wideout is, is kind of similar. Recruiting has been great here. But only one of their recent like high end players uh, has has made the starting lineup. Another one is buried, and another one has transferred to Kentucky. Uh, the guy that's there, Ricky White, stormed onto the field last year as a freshman. He rocked Michigan for 196 yards on eight catches, and then he got injured and was a non factor the rest of the season. Uh, Jalen Naylor was the you know kind of like the guy coming into last year that we that everybody felt was a known commodity, right? Like burner. He's their punt returner. He's uh, a super speedy deep threat. He led the unit in terms of, of, of yards. Uh, Jalen Reed was the highest volume receiver last year, but he still averaged over 12 yards per catch. Uh, they do lose stud tight end Matt Dotson, but they've got a uh, highly regarded Trenton Gillison uh, Gilson ready to slot in. The depth behind these guys doesn't look awesome. Uh, they've got Trey Mosley, who was on the you know potential starting lineup list going into last season. Uh, he was fine. He contributed, not great, but all these guys, except for the tight end, have all got a slight build. They're pretty short. You know that they, they certainly have speed. We saw that against you know Northwestern last year. Uh, the the addition of Ricky White is is somewhat frightening, but um, this is not a, a receiver core that that you know puts any fear into you. It's kind of like Ohio State light, like similar body structure and speed, et cetera. Um, you know, just kind of like a like an order below uh, Ohio State. With that in mind, keep an eye on 6'4", true freshman Keon Coleman, who could be a factor. But I think this is this is where it's interesting to think about their offensive coordinator. So Jay Johnson, he doesn't have as obvious a track record as Mike Bajakian, but he certainly sounds like him schematically. You know, when he does interviews, he talks a lot about being multiple, taking advantage of matchups and defensive alignment, particularly through the tight end position. He's very willing to be imbalanced uh, if it's working, i.e., just running the ball over and over again. I mean, this is exactly the stuff Bajakie talks about, right? But I think for what Johnson really wants to do to work, they need a lot more size and flexibility at tight end and wide receiver. They don't really have much in the in the in the stable beyond Gillison, uh, who's also only a sophomore. The smaller, faster wideouts that I, that I named earlier—they're not going to contribute much in run blocking, and I just think they're not going to be able to confuse defenses the way that that coaches like Johnson or Pajekian really want to do, right? Or, or suck defenses into doing one thing and then flip to doing something else out of the same formation. They just don't have the personnel to make that work. All that being said, their biggest priority is fixing the run game. Um, in last year's mind-bending uh, win against Northwestern, Connor Haywood had his only good game of the entire season, and Rocky Lombardi averaged a, a preposterous 6.5 yards uh, on his 10 carries. In five of the six other games in the year, Lombardi had a negative rushing average. So that should tell you all you need to know about how bad Northwestern's defense played in that game. But overall, Michigan State averaged under four yards per carry for the season, an area that they have typically excelled in previously. And that was bringing back like two former starters in Hayward and Elijah Collins, who ran for a thousand yards behind the 12th string O-line in 2019. So it's just really surprising that these guys were so bad last year. Like you've got to think that the offensive line injuries were, were a problem. I mean, they lost Allen again for the season, but that was true in 19 and it didn't stop Elijah Collins from running for a thousand yards. So like none of these dudes, Hayward, Jordan Simmons, who who actually ended up being their leading rusher and Collins all, all look bad. This is by the way, this is like the third year in a row. So coming out of 2018, it was supposed to be Connor Hayward and it wasn't, it was Elijah Collins who led the team in, in rushing. And then coming into last year it was supposed to be Elijah Collins and it wasn't him and it wasn't Hayward. It was Jordan Simmons. So like, they keep bringing in talented guys at running back. They're adding uh, the second leading rusher from Wake Forest as, um, as, a, as a transfer this year. So now they've got four potential decent starting running backs, but none of them have been able to like build on the success they had earlier in their career. So I, like who knows? I, I don't know what's going to happen here. If the O-line is healthy, they will get more production out of the running game. But I also can't help but looking back at that Colorado situation and thinking that this is not Jay Johnson's strong suit, at least in the short term, that he needs you know, more time to really develop something here. The, as, as it does for all these teams, though, you know, the quarterback position is going to be the most interesting to watch. And um, this is going to be fascinating at Michigan State. As John likes to say, this is going to be a trick-or-treat affair. <laughs> uh, so last year, Rocky Lombardi and freshman uh, Peyton Thorne were just abysmal. Fifty-four and fifty-seven percent completion, respectively. More picks than TDs. Two plus sacks per game. Lombardi transferred, I think, to Northern Illinois. I can't remember yeah, if I had he, that right. Yeah, he went to NIU. Okay. Um, Thorne returns, but um, I'm virtually certain he won't start. Uh, Anthony Russo, a three-year starter from Temple, has transferred into Michigan State and should win the job. Russo is large. He's six foot four, two hundred forty-five pounds. That's a huge change from the prior two guys. He also throws an interception every 30 passes or so, which is not a change from the previous two guys. <laughs> uh, digging into his experience at Temple, he had you know, really solid games on the road versus UCF in 2018. He was um, passable on the road against Cincinnati's really awesome defense in 2019 and against Memphis last year. I mean, it that, that shows you that he can throw well against good defenses, but he also missed most of last year. He only played against Navy, Memphis, and USF. And he struggled in 2019 against the likes of Buffalo, Georgia tech, Tulane, central Florida. Like this is, this is not a sure thing. Like he, he certainly presents a more, um, established and refined player than, you know, you would have seen from, from Thorne or Lombardi this year if they had stayed right. Like this is, this is a big time pocket QB. Um, he does not run much. He, uh, he's never had a wide receiver core with this much talent, I would assume. So it'll be really interesting. Like it's going to be, it it would be near impossible for Michigan state to get any worse on offense. Like they, I guarantee that they will improve just, just because regression to the mean is like a thing. Um, I I suspect we could see a lot of improvement if Russo can be the good version of himself more regularly. Um, But this is a unit with like, that just still has clear deficiencies, right? Uh, A lack of clarity at running back, um, lack of depth in the wide receiver core, lack of flexibility in the wide receiver core, and then a QB that, that likes to throw picks. The state of the defense that John outlined um, may also really dictate terms for this offense. Like if their defensive line and linebackers early on in the season are a mess and can't stop anyone. I mean, Russo's going to be throwing under pressure from behind on the scoreboard. Like that's a situation that Michigan state desperately needs to avoid because that will re- that, that that will result in more interceptions and more turnovers and uh, more problems.
0: So let's run through their schedule. Um, opening this season, like I said, at Northwestern on Friday night, September 3rd. Uh, home for Youngstown State, then they head down to Miami to take on the Hurricanes. Uh, home for Nebraska, home for Western Kentucky, that's their homecoming game. Uh, then they're that's weird. Yeah.
1: How often is homecoming a non-conference?
2: You don't see it very often, but – the, maybe... They call those tea leaves, and you can read them as you see fit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> also timing, though. I mean, you could have homecoming against Nebraska, but they don't have another uh, home game until October 30th uh, against Michigan, and you don't schedule Michigan for homecoming if you're Michigan State. Um, so anyway, after Western Kentucky, they're at Rutgers, at Indiana. Then they have their bye week, uh, October 30th against Michigan at home. Then they travel to Purdue, home for Maryland, at Ohio State, home for Penn State. Brutal finish to this season uh, with the Ohio State Penn State combo. Um, at Indiana, that that's going to be a toughie. I mean, for a, a, at at Northwestern, also a toughie yeah. for sure. No, I mean, for, for a team that's trying to, you know, Mel Tucker's trying to imprint his identity on this team. It's the second year there. Uh, after a, 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 an abysmal season last year, they, you know, need to, for, for their own sake, they need to put something together. But I don't know. I just don't know how they're going to it's you
2: know what's a crazy sign of the times and it it's just really weird is when we look at these schedules we look at them for all these for every team and this is the first team of of the year that we've previewed where i find myself looking at like Youngstown State and being like how what was Youngstown State like last year what was Western <laughs> Kentucky like last year which i mean like you laugh right but i you know Michigan State was just a train wreck last year. And I'm looking just to do my due diligence to be like, is that a losable game? And, I mean, this is a team that, you know, this is a proud program, Michigan State. And, like, they're, they, you know, even this past year, like, on the defensive side of the ball, had massively talented guys. Um, And it's weird. And for the record, Youngstown State was garbage last year. And that's, I don't think Sparty's going to be in any difficulty that game. And I don't think Western Kentucky was great either. But, it is. It is really weird. And on one chant, on one hand, like Scuzz said, like you almost can't help but regress to the mean um, offensively. Like I mean, I think they, or I guess not regress. Like they can't help but be better. Progress and to the mean. Pro they, they, progress they, to the
1: mean. They did score like twenty four points or more in four games.
2: Yeah, <laughs> So that's something.
1: Um, well, I mean, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, like in, in past years, that would have been enough for Michigan State to win all four of those games. Well, uh, and that's
2: and that's the, the weird thing is like trying to calibrate because you don't want to be someone. I mean, on an earlier preview, guys, you alluded, you know, like Phil Steele's got them last in the East. And yep. I mean, it's certainly an easy argument to make. I mean, you can't they can't have been they couldn't have been much worse last year. Right. Um, but at the same time, I'm trying to peg and I'm being like, OK, look, that. 14 number 14 scoring defense in the conference. Like, this team just didn't have a chance defensively last year. Um, and this year, if they get anything out of their offense, who knows, like, how that reshapes it. And then on the other hand, I'm like, yeah, but they lose their best two defensive players by far off of a team that was horrible last year. And I just, and I'm not seeing, like, who those guys, you know, who the replacement guys are going to be. And the defensive line, it's just like, there ain't a heck of a lot there. Now, it's funny to, to be looking and, and full disclosure, like looking ahead at a bunch of the other teams that, that we're going to do down the road and stuff. Like, there are plenty of teams worse defensively than Michigan State. And Michigan State's not particularly great defensively. This is just not the glory days of the Big Ten defense when you're looking at the bottom half of the conference. Um, so, but I just don't know. Like, I'm, I'm there. I mean, it's like, let's put it this way. Like, we're trying to be really charitable. It's not hard to see how the whole bottom could fall out here. And, like, the Mel Tucker experiment goes really, really sideways, really, really quickly. Um, It's, I mean, you can look at the schedule and be like, they easily could be looking at a 1-3 and start. Like, that is totally on the table for this team. Um, And then then they have to go into, again, you know, it's like, if Phil Steele has the bottom at the East, like, Rutgers ain't going to do them any favors, you know? So... Um, and as Sam said, it only gets worse from there on. So I don't know. I mean, it doesn't, let's put it this way. It doesn't look good looking at the schedule.
1: That Nebraska game is going to be a real turning point, it feels like. I mean, like of course, if they were to somehow beat us again the first week of the season, um, that would be, you know, a, a turning point for them as well. I think we all believe that's um,
0: not going to happen. Likely. Yeah, uh I I think I think I
1: saw I saw uh Jay from like The Post um on Twitter reacting to early lines for opening weekend and and seeing Northwestern minus 7 against Michigan State and saying oh god no um which it did it did produce a flood of emotion for me as like as like yes respect oh god like that we never do well in that spot and then thinking but Michigan State's horrible I just like you know um I referred to it as a glass box of emotion via, via gif. Um, but anyways, like hosting Nebraska on September 25th, the team that um, and we haven't previewed yet, but you know, we all have strong thoughts about our, I believe like, our feelings on Nebraska are not hidden. Yeah. I like to, 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 to not be in the basement of the East. Like I, I think you can squint at this and you can see six and six. It means you have to beat Maryland. It means you have to beat Nebraska, um, or northwestern uh, like f- but for them to be out of the basement like like they will have to knock off Maryland um, of course they have to hold serve against Rutgers they probably have to beat Nebraska and maybe northwestern as well just to not end up last in the east so like who knows
0: it's what do what we think the, about their trip to Purdue I again don't I, want to step on our purdue preview but uh, that could be a, an interesting one <laughs>
2: It's just one of those things where I keep trying to peg. It's just I don't know. Like I, I keep coming back to the fact that it just there just isn't a lot here for Sparty. Like I mean, Scuzz kind of started off talking about the offense being like, "Hey, they're bringing some guys back." But I mean, honestly, Scuzz, I was listening to everything you were describing, and I was kind of like,
1: I- "Is there?" I don't know. I'm like, I mean, I mean, I- Jalen Naylor <laughs> averaged twenty yards per per catch last year. Yeah, so they've got. And- some— Right, and we'll have a better QB. Like, like Russo may throw a lot of picks again, but he will hands down be a better QB than the, than the two guys were last year. So, like, bump Naylor's production. Ricky White, you know, stays healthy. Bump his production. Um, like, but like, if they can't get the the running game in the O line sorted, you know,
2: I could like I definitely I, could I just see... I
1: I'll I'll be honest, I don't think offense is the problem. Like, it was it was horrible last year. But again, they scored, you know, 24 plus points in four games and they lost two of them.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I'm kind of like, if you're looking for a situation where everything works out for them, it's that everything Scuzz says is true. Again, it's possible that their linebacker core can really come together. Um, this feels like a team that a lot of people are really going to be able to throw on, but if the defensive line kind of it I don't really have a better explanation than that that they just kind of get there which I don't see happening um that this could this team could kind of find it and reclaim some of the glory days from a run defense perspective and then if their offense clicks like suddenly they're they're getting out it's just you are asking for an awful lot to happen I heard a lot for of a ifs team in that statement yeah for a team that was an absolute train wreck last year and again is losing its best two defensive players by far off of that team. And I mean if you look at like where is the production going to come from? I mean again, there is a massive recruit who's coming in. He will be a true freshman. That is not the kind of thing Michigan State's usually doing, right? Like they're like they usually have some guy who they've just been grooming for 4 years and then he comes. And that's just like it's not that team. Um and again, it's it's We haven't gotten to the Gophers yet, but let's just say like the Gophers are an example of a team that underwent a culture shift, spent a couple years moving away from this unbelievable defensive culture that they had built, uh, and then the bottom just fell out. And I'm not saying that that's going to happen with Michigan State, but I'm saying like it's not like there is this murderer's row of guys that are expecting to step in here. Um, And talent-wise, this team is gonna be worse on defense than they were last year. Like that's just gonna happen. Um and unless there's some massive counterweight coming from the offensive side of the ball, like I'm I'm just not seeing it. But again, to say, like, at the start of the season, like I don't see how this how this team's gonna have it. I just don't see how it will all click for them. So it's like scuss highlighted that September twenty fifth game. I mean, they're gonna have to have a heck of a lot of stuff figured out by the time they get to that game. Um Otherwise, I think they're gonna they're gonna get into a deep hole here.
1: I mean, should we should we focus on the Northwestern matchup briefly? Like, just given you know we're not gonna get any intel other than fall ball from from these two teams and a bit more detail around I, the starting I, lineups. I'll
2: tell you right off the bat, and I should have mentioned this up. I mean, Simmons and Brown were awesome against Northwestern. Antoine, I mean Antoine Simmons and Shakur Brown. Shakur Brown had an interception in that game. Like they were those those guys distinguished themselves with excellence for Michigan State in that game. They were massive difference makers. You could argue if one or both of those guys is not in that game, Northwestern wins that game. So like start there. Like the, t- those were the two best guys on the field for defense for their defense when they played us and they here they're they're, they're gone. So they're John, let,
0: John we, let let's talk about their defensive line against our projected offensive line.
2: I mean, <laughs> I mean I I mean I I'm <laughs> I mean, honestly, like I, it's funny. It's almost kind of like a laundry kind of thing where you're like, well, they still are wearing Michigan State jerseys, and those guys are always really stout. And it's like this. I mean, again, it's not a great line, and their best guy was Nikwan Jones, and he's gone. So no, I, I, I'm feeling very happy. Honestly, I, again, not to put the cart before the horse, folks, but uh, I'm feeling pretty good about this one, and. There are a lot of teams on our schedule I'm feeling even better about. But, yeah, no, I'm totally confident the Trench Cats can, can handle this team. And, again, they may be starting a running – they may be starting uh, a, what, 18-, 19-year-old linebacker who may be a big-time recruit, but also has never played college football before in that game. So, um it's I, – I,
1: I might submit that the 2019 Colorado Buffaloes, coached by Mel Tucker, a defensive guy, were – um Gave up 31.8 points per game, which was uh, the highest mark of the last six years at Colorado.
2: Yeah, for no, what, for up. what
1: that's worth. I like the other thing. I look back at la- that game last year. Northwestern ran the ball 37 times for 63 yards. I don't believe Cam Porter had an opportunity in that game. And you look at what Northwestern did just a few weeks later with Cam Porter in the fold right against, um, I mean, Illinois wasn't anything to shake a stick at, but, but Ohio state, right. And their front seven. And I just, I truly believe, I mean, everybody's looking at Northwestern and saying the wide receivers are depleted and gone and the QB is changing over. And I just, I think people are missing the forest from the trees, which is that Northwest like Northwestern at the end end of the year last year looked a hell of a lot different from Northwestern at the beginning of the year on the ground. And that was where Michigan State won that game, and I think it's a different story this next year.
0: Yeah, ironic. Porter hadn't hadn't taken over yet, right?
2: Well, and ironically, there were two Northwestern offensive linemen who looked fantastic in week one of last year, who will probably be playing a lot more in week one of this year, and that's Josh <laughs> Preve and Charlie Schmidt, um, who, you know, were... You've seen the gifts we've put up on on Twitter, but those were guys who were road grading Maryland in the fourth quarter of that game, and and now they're going to get a chance. And and honestly, it's it's a good matchup. It's a good matchup for the line, and like you guys said, with with Porter,
1: um, yeah. I mean, honestly, like I, he, I know he got he got one carry versus Michigan State, and then um, was the next game Illinois.
2: Yeah, I. The I other, believe it was the other thing too. Is I, it's. There is that whole thing, too, of just we're all there's so much PTSD out of that game that it's easy to forget that any number of 20 things could have if and if any one of 20 things had happened, Northwestern would have won that game. Um, and that I think we feel that our team is in much better shape relative to their team going into this game that I feel very confident in.
1: Yeah, I mean, the the. The Northwestern quarterback situation obviously is is the big conundrum, right? Is it is it going to be twenty twenty repeat or is it going to be twenty nineteen repeat? And it's probably you know possibly somewhere somewhere in between. But um, this Michigan State team, like we both outlined, has got they've got problems they've got problems and and
0: you know un- unknowns on both sides of the ball. But they also have talent that who knows if it'll come together. <sighs>
2: I, I mean again, this is where I keep coming back to. Like I I don't I it's like I don't want to disrespect the Michigan State culture. I'm just on the defensive side of the ball. They don't have a lot of guys. They just don't. There ain't a lot of guys. Um, well, that,
1: that that culture was predicated on the D'Antonio staff finding these diamonds in the rough, these two star guys, and turning them into NFL starters, right?
2: And that's the thing. It's like it, if 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 those guys are there, it's going to be the same thing. But there aren't they're they're not guys that anybody's like drawing a big circle around. Like these guys are gonna they will have to be those diamond in the rough guys. Um
1: Yeah. And 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 like in in large part because he hasn't stayed anywhere long enough, like Tucker does not have the track record of developing players to that to that level. Certainly not after having eighteen months working with them, right? So I just I think the eighteen months in a of,
0: weird COVID situation.
1: Yeah, I just I just don't think the likelihood that that you're gonna see that same culture on display. I mean, I I would imagine like if you you hear you hear Tucker and Johnson talk about the offense, and they talk about being physical and you know dominating games, et cetera, and I, like Tucker's a defensive guy, but like the culture shift to me is one where the old Michigan State culture of pro style offense that like gets just enough done and you know, rock solid defense it like that. That's kind of going away. I mean, they want to, they want to bully teams and score points, which is different from the past. And that, that's the opposite of the defensive culture
0: that was there for so many years. So uh, what, what are we thinking? Like, let's put a guess down. You know, where's Michigan state at the end of the season?
2: I'll, I'll 4-8? split the difference with, I'll split the difference between their best case and worst case scenarios, and to me that puts them at four and eight. I think they their best case is six and six, their worst case is two and ten. I'll put them at four and eight. Ooh. I'll say they. I'll say they grab Youngstown, Western Kentucky, Rutgers. I don't know, and then something out of Michigan, Purdue, and Maryland, um, and that's probably where I
1: come in. I'm much more comfortable giving them five or six wins. Maybe even seven.
2: Ooh, ooh, seven. Wow.
1: So if you get Youngstown, Nebraska, Western Kentucky, Rutgers, it's four. You would need to win three out of the Michigan, Purdue, Maryland, Northwestern. I don't know anything about Miami.
0: so um, Miami's probably going to be, my, I, I, would, I would imagine that they're probably going to be fairly decent. Yeah, I assume that they're going to be good, but um,
1: I don't know, crazier things have happened than Miami dropping a weird game against a team that they should beat.
2: It will, I mean, it's certainly going to be interesting, right, to see there is this weird vacuum of sorts on the side of the East, and everyone's wondering, you know, is a team that traditionally has been in that upper echelon, Michigan State, really going to stay out of there for a while, and... I mean, I'm I'm here to tell you, it's not like there's a murderer's row lined up outside of Indiana, you know, Indiana, Penn State, and Ohio State ready to claim that crown. Like the Spart, Sparty ain't the only one dealing with a bunch of issues, but um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just like, I'm trying to see like where the dyna, like the dynamism on either side of the ball is going to emerge here, and you know, if if they develop that deep threat passing game, and maybe that opens it up for them, so. I don't know. We'll we'll see. I I don't. I do not have high expectations
0: for this for this team. Well, um, let's go ahead and leave it there for the Spartans. Um, we will revisit them obviously as we get closer to opening night uh, in our final game week preview. Um, you know any updates that uh, might come between now and then obviously we will talk about at that point but uh, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight head to our website westlottpirates.com where you can leave comments and questions find us on Facebook Twitter and Instagram at Pirates. and you can always email the show westlottpirates at gmail.com tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on northwestern athletics and look for us in the Westlaw of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter especially the fourth. John Lacombe, Eric Scouse and Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.